Hello, Hyperfixation Nation. This is the Get Your Fix podcast where we chat all things fandom, good, bad, and ugly with me, your host, Vaughn. Thank you so much for joining me as always. Um, If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been with me on this journey for a minute now, then welcome back. You can read more about the GYF project and subscribe on your favorite platforms by visiting the getyourfixpod.card.co. That's C-A-R-R-D. Um, the link to the website is always in the description of the episode. Um, and then you can also come hang out with me over on Instagram. I would love to have you. So this episode, I am venturing back into the world of British YouTubers to celebrate the glorious return of Charlie is So Cool-like to the platform. Um, she is a part of that same cohort of like the early 2000s pioneer YouTubers who helped shape the platform into what it is today. Um, I mentioned her very briefly in my Dan Howell episode. Um, so she has some crossover with Dan and Phil and like kick the PJ and some of those other creators I talked about in the, in the Dan episode, but not a ton. They weren't all in the same part of the UK, but they were all involved with like BBC radio at one point. Um, Charlie did a lot of like work with BBC radio on um, Doctor Who and then like Dan and Phil were more like in like the music arena like they like I mentioned they interviewed like Fall Out Boy and stuff like that but I was utterly obsessed with her when I was in middle school and high school um, equally as much obsessed with her as I was with Dan. Her content back then was all the things that I liked and all the things honestly that I still like. She had like brownie recipes, she wrote original songs that she would sing and perform on the ukulele, she made like fun science fact videos and she would do like little quirky YouTube challenges like dyeing her hair red. She also made some like casual very casual like lifestyle content in and around her small town in of bath at the time so she was living in bath in the uk um and it really transported me there i remember watching videos of her like with like all the old ancient architecture and it was so cool and like i'll admit i was a little bit of a britophile back then when i was a teenager i had the like union jack keep calm and carry on poster like in my dorm room but i think a lot of like young nerdy theater emo kids went through that phase and I honestly feel like a lot of it has to do with my obsession with like musical theater like I was just really into I was really into Sherlock Holmes like all of that kind of stuff so you know and she was one of the first YouTubers that I ever discovered I think it was like Jenna Marbles was first and then I think it was Charlie right after that um so I I was really into like the British YouTube arena like I mentioned um but she was one of the few creators that I really kept up with I believe she was the very first YouTuber from the UK to reach a million subscribers on YouTube. Um, I'm, I remember that. I'm pretty sure that's true. Um, I, when I was doing research, that came up. I know like the first anything is kind of hard to say nowadays in the creator economy, but she really was one of the first people on the platform. So I believe she was the first U- YouTuber from the UK to reach a million subscribers. And she was one of the few from that area to from that era to become successful in more traditional media, um, like in television and music um, and like authorship, screenwriting. She was one of the first YouTubers to write a book. And at least from my perspective, I think she really inspired a lot of YouTubers to believe that they could pursue creative ventures outside of the platform and like really diversify their portfolio, essentially, of, of creativity. So I really looked up to her in a lot of ways. I thought, you know, I I related to her a lot. She was very approachable, very warm, but also had that like kind of nerdy anxiety. Um, I I felt like she was like an introvert on the public stage. And I was like, that's my friend, you know? Charlie was a pretty avid musician when I was into her too, like for over the the early years of her career. So she had a pretty successful solo career. 
Um, and I really liked her kind of like breathy indie sound. Um, it was like kind of quirky, kind of experimental. It was really um, about like storytelling. So she had a lot of songs about like characters, which I thought was cool. One of the first songs that I ever learned to play on the ukulele, it was called A Duet With Myself by Charlie. And she actually was the person that inspired me to buy a ukulele. So I had like this bright cobalt blue ukulele and I had it until I was 23 actually um and then I sold it to another like trans creative local to me but she really inspired me to start playing with string instruments I was really only doing like woodwinds and like the keyboard before that you know I basically watched her do it with myself video over and over again until I memorized it she also did a lot of like social impact work, which was much more popular for YouTubers back then than it is now. I think some of the modern day YouTubers that still do social impact work is like, they've got like Markiplier and like uh, Jacksepticeye. They do like charity streams and stuff. Julian, Solomita, like a lot of people still do charity streams, but um, Charlie at the time, like she was really tying everything she did back to social good. And I don't know if this is objectively true, but in my opinion, I feel like she set the expectation for a lot of YouTubers in that era to do good with their platforms so kind of like transitioning youtube out of like a silly challenge platform where we're like eating cinnamon and stuff like that and like filming people doing stupid shit in public she was like no let's make things that matter and and affect change in positive ways so she did this charity song called i got nothing with a documentary series called chart jackers that benefited children in need and like this was back when you had to purchase songs individually on iTunes, like before Apple Music streaming. And so the Chartjackers program documented uh, their attempt with Charlie to achieve a number one single in the UK singles chart within 10 weeks by crowdsourcing resources provided by the online community. So it's this kind of like niche project, but I thought it was really cool. It was such a powerful example of what the creator economy might be capable of before we knew how lucrative it was really going to be, right? Like we didn't know that like the number one job in 2023 was going to be influencer, right? Of Like what people want to do. And like it had all these clips of people filming themselves singing in their bedroom. It was just so cool. And it really felt like community driven and it was like local, regional, and it impacted a UK based charity. It was just awesome. It was one of the few songs that I actually bought uh, on iTunes instead of like MP3 converting for free. I had like the YouTube convert to MP3 like file downloader and then I would like upload everything to my iTunes. That was mostly what I did. Um, but I actually bought Chartjackers. I also bought with real money her album called This Is Me in 2010 on iTunes. And I basically listened to Bread, a song about acne and like chemical love over and over again until I could literally sing them in my sleep. Bread was one of my favorite songs in 2010. It was so much fun. And I believe she had like an animated video, music video to be that she released in conjunction with the album for Bread. So it was just really cool. And I, and I really loved it. Um, I loved her album. I loved her music. And I also loved both of her bands. So she was in a band called Chameleon Circuit and then another band called Sons of Admirals. So Chameleon Circuit made Doctor Who inspired music, like I mentioned, um, she was really big in like the Doctor Who fandom space and like a part of like the media promotion of the show. She worked with BBC Radio 1. The Chameleon Circuit, all of their songs were like around and about Doctor Who. And then the other band was called Sons of Admirals. And it was more of a separate but together style project. I thought this was really cool. 
the inspiration and like the namesake for Sons of Admirals came from the Admirals Men, which was a Shakespearean group of actors that came together to like perform Shakespeare while still retaining their individual careers. So it's like each of them individually are artists in their own right. And then they have this collaboration project rather than like a unified band like Chameleon Circuit was. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and kind of like preserved the integrity of each of their own creative endeavors and were working on a joint project with a bunch of people that you maybe supported separately and that you enjoyed seeing them work together. These bands ultimately came to an end when her relationship with Alex Day ended. Um, Alex Day is also known as Naraman. Um, that was his YouTube handle. I feel like this is kind of old news now, but it's still kind of, I think, still stings. And I feel like um, it's still important to talk about, even though it's gotten lost to the sands of time a little bit. I remember being so affected by it. And you can see a lot, you can still find a lot of articles about this if you Google Naraman or Alex Day. So Charlie and Alex were back then like two peas in a pod. I, I don't know if this is like a great comparison to make or if I'm going to get like attacked by by the fandom or about this, but I kind of feel like the big duos at the time were Dan and Phil and then Charlie and Alex. Like they were like these British YouTube duos that everybody loved and were invested in, you know? So a lot of their content was joint across both of their channels. They made a lot of videos together. They had a, a business together. They did the radio stuff together. They were in two bands together. They were super, super interconnected uh, professionally and personally. They were like best friends house together at one point which Dan and Phil also recently just did so you know I, I think that they were really recognized in tandem with each other in many ways in March of 2014 it came to light that Alex had been involved in like several instances of pressuring women into sex hitting on underage fans alleged sexual assault it came shortly after the Sam Pepper expose, if you remember that. I feel like the Sam Pepper situation was way more publicly covered than Alex Day. Like it was just more, I think, widely heard about because Sam Pepper was a little bit less niche than Alex Day, I think. But these uh, scandals and like scandals is even kind of not, I think, the best word for it. That's kind of the word that we use for when like these internet influencers get in trouble, we use the word scandal, but like it really is like harm. Um, and abuse, right? These cases with Alex and Sam predated modern day cases like James Charles and Miranda Sings. And like, for me, it's no secret that money and power can change your moral compass, but it was especially shocking to me back then. I feel like I was much younger. And anyway, in my nature, like I'm trusting to a fault most of the time. And like my worldview really is that I believe that most people are good for better or for worse for myself. I really do trust and appreciate people until they give me a reason not to rather than the other way around. Um, and back then, even I was much more vulnerable as a young person where it hit me a lot harder when people that I trusted and respected did something bad, right? So I've lived through a lot of my phase turning out to be horrible now at almost 30. That, But this was probably my first real experience that I remember, like vividly remember. And what I remember the most though about this was Charlie's response to the situation. So she made a video on her channel shutting that shit down so fast. She cut Alex off and out of her life, even though he'd been her best friend for like decades. And they built this whole career YouTube empire together. And she didn't like mince words about it. She didn't defend him. She didn't speak vaguely. It, you know, it was not a PR statement. It was not like a YouTube apology the way that they are now. Like, you know, like 
I'm speaking my truth or whatever, like the Tenemojo or, you know, that kind of stuff. Like it was, it felt really authentic and she was not afraid to like draw that line in the sand and live her values without compromise, even at the cost of a lifelong friend. Right. And I remember her expressing her like shock and how, how painful it is when someone that you've had a relationship with for years turns out to be someone that you don't even recognize or know. I feel like there's a lot of parallels with that now, like with the Try Guys situation, like the guys talking about like, it's crazy when someone that you've been friends with for so long turns out to be this person that you don't know. And I think, I think it makes sense for fans to be skeptical about like how much do these people know? How much did they already know that they're just coming out because it affects their brand? I all think that I think that all of that is valid criticism, but I do also think that abusers are very good at having masks, right? And like hiding themselves from the people in their lives. And I really took her statement at state at face value. And I remember her words really comforting me in the face of something so awful and just so unimaginable to me at that time. You know, in 2014, I was. I think it happened before my birthday. So I was like 19. Um, so still, you know, pretty, pretty young. And, you know, it just was, it just was so shocking for someone that you look up to, to do something like that to people who are your age, right? And younger than you. And so just like that, Alex completely dis- disappeared for me. And Charlie just kept making beautiful things. And she kept having a positive impact and making videos. And she just kept moving forward. And um, I just remember... I continued to keep up with her and and Alex kind of disappeared, which is the best outcome, right? For someone to be completely and totally deplatformed. And I think that uh, she had a hand in helping deplatform him. So, and then she got older. Uh, Charlie got older. Uh, Her content aged. I got older. I got interested in other things as I got older. Um, And so did she, like her content started to change. Like I mentioned, she started writing short films and things like that. I remember, I think the last thing I watched of hers was a short film she posted on YouTube. And she was also talking about that she had been writing for a show for Quibi um, that never aired. So if you know about Quibi, you know why. And then I noticed one day that she hadn't been posting on YouTube anymore. And that, you know, the, the Quibi project went away. She stopped making fun science videos and she stopped posting about her upcoming short films that she wanted to work on. She stopped posting vlogs as much. Um, I knew that she'd moved to Canada with her partner, but she kind of stopped posting blogs about their adventures and um, about their relationship. You know, they used to make, you know, tasteful couple videos and she used to make videos about her cat Gideon and she just kind of disappeared off of the platform. I remember just like, it was, it was just a really random day, like a couple of years ago. I think it was probably, I think it was probably during the pandemic. I Googled her. And I found out that she'd mostly been streaming on GeoGuessr, streaming the game GeoGuessr on Twitch, which GeoGuessr is that like Google Maps game where you are uh, in and around an area and you try to guess where it is in the world. You know, she'd made the pivot to Twitch, which a lot of YouTube creators did move over to Twitch. And I still have yet to cave and make a Twitch account. I'm just not interested in it. I don't know why. Uh, I I don't love live content that much. So I figured, you know, that was just the end of an era for me and for Charlie, like my relationship with her content. And I kind of figured like, that's okay. You know, things come and go in your life. That's totally natural. Your interests fluctuate. And like it, you know, I didn't feel like sad about it. Like sometimes I feel sad when I stop liking things or my interests shift, but I felt like I had a really positive relationship with her, with the stuff that she makes. And so, you know, I didn't feel all that sad about it. But then seven months ago, I got a YouTube notification that she posted a video for the first time in a long time called What Happened to Charlie is So Cool Like, a reintroduction Q&A. 
And I clicked on the notification. And when I saw the thumbnail, I'm not even joking, y'all. Like my heart jumped into my throat and I got so teary-eyed right away because there she was in her thumbnail with long, gorgeous red hair, like shiny bright eyes, a classy red lip, like pink acetate glasses. And like, this wasn't the Charlie that I grew up watching, but it is the Charlie that I'd always known, even if I wasn't necessarily aware of it at the time. So in this video, what happened to Charlie is so cool. Like she comes out as a transgender woman. She tells us why she didn't change her name. And she like answers questions about her transition and about her career. You know, she talks about why she took all of her videos down, even though she knows they're a comfort to a lot of people. And she like talked about being perceived publicly as a trans person. And it just felt like coming home. It kind of hit me in the same way that Dan's basically I'm gay video hit me that I talked about in my episode about him. Um, So both Dan and Charlie are 32. So they're only three years ahead of me in life. And when I think about like the years, the formative years of when I watched them, they would have been seniors in high school when I was a freshman. And I think about that a lot. Like they were just kids themselves when they got enormously internet famous. You know, I was 14 when I was watching them, but they were only 17. So these creative figures who are so foundational in my developmental years who were the same age as me, ostensibly, and were figuring it out in real time. And then several years later, after I have found myself, they've come out and stepped into the light on the public stage knowing how scary it is so that they can live their truths and continue to do the work that they want to do creatively. And the impact on that just, I I really can't even put it into words. So when Charlie came out, like a part of me inside went, I knew it. And not in like a voyeuristic, like looking back, it's obvious kind of way, but in a like, my spirit has always felt drawn to hers and her content. And now I know why kind of way. You know, like watching this, this video, this reintroduction Q&A felt exactly the same as when I came out to myself when I was 23. Like I had always known that I was trans, but I was in denial about it until my early 20s because it was just too much for me to process and handle. And Dan says the same thing. Like he always knew, but really pushed it deep down. And Charlie said the same thing in her video. She always knew, but she didn't have access to the information that would help her move forward in her authenticity. And that is exactly how it felt for me. I always knew, but I didn't have the the tools. And so it was like an exhale after holding my breath for like over two decades, right? That's what coming out to myself felt like. And I felt that way watching Charlie's video. I had the same feeling when Teddy Geiger came out as transgender, who I was also totally obsessed with from 14 to 17. Like she's also an amazing creator who came out publicly and is navigating life as a trans woman on the public stage, which is really hard, right? So Charlie has since posted another video called The Clues That I Was Transgender, where she shares some of her own unique experiences that like tipped her off to her gender identity. And like I was just mentioning, like she talked about how she always knew, but didn't have the nerve or the language. And one of the things I love most about the way that she makes videos, and this has always been true for her from the very beginning, is that she's open and honest and authentic, but she sets really firm and clear boundaries with her audience. And I really appreciate that. So she isn't overly parasocial. She isn't pretending to be your best friend or to know you, but she doesn't shy away from authentic connection and for and from sharing you know, her truth and realities of her life so that it might help other people feel like they can be themselves too. Like that's definitely been my experience with her. Like 
since she's come out and started talking about this more openly, like that's been my relationship to her content. It doesn't feel parasocial. It feels like in community with other trans folks, right? And I really appreciate that in this uh, new era of her YouTube career, she talks really candidly about the struggles of being specifically a transgender woman on the public stage, how fucking scary it is, like the kind of comments that you get, like the dangers of online transphobia um, in a rising... The uh, hostile environment towards trans folks. Like she is, you know, in Canada, but she's from the UK, which has a super like anti-trans movement right now. So does the US and she's in close proximity to both communities. Um, so she talks about that. She talks about like the exploitation of trans narratives of how people will take the experiences of trans people and twist them for their own perspectives and, and agendas that they want um, rather than listening to the words of trans people. And she also talks about like the voyeurism on trans lives of like how people consume trans narratives and then claim that they understand transness. So like she talks about all of that, but is choosing to be public about it anyway, despite those things. Um, And none of those aspects of being public as a trans woman take away from the ease and obvious joy that she feels in living openly as a trans woman. Like her whole like energy and demeanor is so settled in and and I feel the same way about Dan like again like in Dan's video he talks about like really being himself and like kind of like exhaling unclenching and like you can really tell in the way that they're talking and in the way that they're creating and also just like in Dan's video for me like she gave voice to many of my own experiences I was absolutely terrified I was in denial I was lost I had no community I was isolating I tried so hard not to be gay and not to be trans that it took away from me living my life. But just like Charlie and Dan, I wanted to be brave and I wanted to make things and I wanted to be a creative and put my art and my writing and my voice out there. And I wanted to help other people, but I held myself back from doing anything creatively honest until after I came out because it was just too much to process at once, right? And something that she mentioned was like, being able to move forward and make the content that she wants to make because of who she is now. Like I relate to that so much. Like I didn't feel ready to do this podcast or like, you know, write fiction and submit to literary journals and all that kind of stuff until after I came out. Right. And we're on our own timelines and you can start at any time. But I I do feel grateful that I waited to start on my like creative ventures until after I had medically transitioned and changed my name and all of that. So I don't have to go back and, and rewrite the narrative, you know? For people like Charlie, who, you know, she does have to kind of retell her story. And I think it is really brave of her to, like, archive her entire YouTube catalog. Like, I know a lot of people would be really mad about that. And I'm sure a lot of people are hurt and mad about that, right? Like, she made, like, iconic platform-defining videos that are, you know, they're gone. And, but she has the right to do that as a trans woman. And she has the right to own her own story and her own narrative. And I just think she's amazing. And I'm, I'm so glad that she is coming back to the platform a little bit at a time. So, you know, I think for both Charlie and Dan, they both made me feel like it was safe to be myself when I was a teenager, long before they came out, right? Like long before they were talking about their uh, queer and trans identities. They made me feel like it was okay to be strange um, and to be like a little a little nerdy into nerdy things, be a little bit loud, a little bit annoying. It was okay to be chronically online with my weird friends. It was okay to have projects of my own 
creativity that are rooted in fandom and things that I like, like Charlie starting a band around Doctor Who, like that's amazing. That's exactly what I would love to do with my life one day, right? Like both of them have brought me so much comfort throughout my whole life and have helped me feel like I was less alone in the world in those formative years where I was struggling with different things and the same things that they were struggling with, just not out loud. And now in this new phase um, of my like second phase of life, I would say, they're kind of on this journey with me. And I feel like watching them both become who they are as adults and reimagine what their online presence looks like is aiding in my like own inner child work along the way. And so I really love and respect Charlie. I'm sure that I always will. She's amazing. And if she can keep putting herself out there and like archive all of her content and start over and pursue an authentic and creative life at a pace that makes sense for her, then I kind of feel like I can too. So I, I will definitely express all the gratitude in the world to her for that. So that is all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed. I hope that my fellow like former Britophiles who love British YouTubers um, can maybe take this episode as a sign, like maybe jump back in, maybe see if there's videos out there from creators you loved growing up that uh, maybe you haven't watched in a while. To all of my queer and trans fans of Dan and Phil and Charlie is so cool. Like I'm still out here. Just know I'm still here. If you're still here, I've got you. And so I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you want to support the show, you can leave me a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. The reviews really help a lot in helping the show get discovered. Also turning on automatic downloads helps a lot um, in helping uh, get your fix get discovered. And as always, if you want me to chat about a specific property um, or you have thoughts about one that I've already covered, you can send me an email at getyourfixpod at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I would love to talk about the things that you like as much as the things that I like. And again, you can find me over at Instagram. And thank you so much for listening. I will catch you all in the next one to chat about our next hyperfixation.